not sure what we talk about. We'll see what happens. Talk about Jesus, God, you and me. Um, you know, it's funny. I gave this talk in Port Alberni two weeks ago when I wasn't here on that Sunday evening. And uh, it sort of came out quite well. But I look at the notes and I go, I don't know how anything came out of that. Sometimes I look at these notes and go, I, I don't understand how this translated into that. Because, uh, and I'm very glad that it did translate because it was a little weird. Um, but the thing that I want to just remind ourselves about, and we know this stuff and we repeat it, but to get it from here to here is where we need so much encouragement. That God has not called us to be alone. He's not called us to live as orphans. He's not called us to live in isolation. Even though um, isolation is often our default, even though I'm more comfortable on my own in many instances, it is not the place that Jesus desires us to be most of the time, whether you're a, a full-blown introvert or not. Um, when, when Jesus, one of the, Jesus came to earth, what was his purpose in coming to earth? Some people will just say, Jesus came to earth to save your sins so you can spend eternity with him. He went to the cross so that you can have, know eternal life with him. And I think that's the kind of end of why he came. But I don't think Jesus came so that he, we could uh, and die on a cross so that uh, our sins can be forgiven so we can have eternity with him and in between in life is hell. He came so that we could actually know his presence in the present so that we can actually be with him now that goes through to eternity. That heaven, as we've been talking about, is on earth with Jesus. Heaven begins to be unfolded. Heaven feels like peace, feels like love, feels like joy, feels like kindness and goodness. All the hallmarks of heaven, Jesus released and revealed in his character and his personality as he walked this earth. And one of the things Jesus did was uh, he, he continually said, I'm not a solo agent. He says, when you see me, you see the Father. I don't actually say anything on my own accord. I actually speak only what the Father teaches me. I'm very dependent on the Father, and I'm very dependent on the Spirit. And the three of us live in this relationship that is continually mutually supportive. Whenever Jesus is present, he's, he's declaring the Father as God, and he's declaring the Spirit as power. When the Spirit is present, he's declaring Jesus as Lord and the Father as the Creator. When the Father is present, he's saying, this is my son, I'm really proud of him, I'm pleased in him. They're all just boast about each other because they're totally locked into, inter into interdependence. And it wasn't long after Jesus, um, you know, I sometimes wonder why did it take so long for him to begin his public ministry? Why did he start when he was, only, when he was 30? It seems like a long time. And I wonder whether part of that reason was that maybe he had to actually look after his family on earth. It's believed that Joseph died fairly early on, but uh, it's not beyond possible reasoning that God would also honor the family that, that looked after his son. And it's not beyond reason that God, because he's compassionate, loving, and caring, says to Jesus, you're not going to start your ministry till you've looked after the, your family. Just a thought, as well as I need to prepare you. Because God is a God of detail. He's a God of deep compassion and deep caring. He really cares about everything about you. More than you care about you, by the way. 
I mean, you matter more than, you know, we do the I'm fine bit, and then we take Valium. I'm fine. I'm fine. How? Fine. 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 And we medicate ourselves to death. And what uh, we want to do is learn how to be mutually supportive. And Jesus, very early on in his public ministry, called people to be with him. And he gathered around him a group of 12, and then probably around that, there was probably an entourage of 40 or 50. And he had friends where it went, Mary and Martha's house, Lazarus. He had friends wherever he went. He was invited, often as a celebrity, to people's homes. But I think once he was there, like with Matthew and with Simon, who uh, was where the woman broke that jar of ointment over, I think very soon, uh, when people were in his presence, uh, their relationship changed. And he gathered around him people all the time because God's Spirit is a sociable spirit. God's Spirit is one that draws people together. And then he, he, he comes to that John passage where he goes, you know, um, I've been among you as one who serves, and I, call you, I called you as servants. But it wasn't very long before he was saying, I now call you friends. See, a servant, and he said, a servant does what he's told to do. He said, a friend knows what his master's thinking. Religion reduces people to servants. And Jesus raises people up to friends. This one I'll ask you this evening in a sense, are you a friend or are you a servant? I like somebody's phrase, twist, turn of phrase the other day that says, um, you know, God doesn't want to use you. He wants to be your friend and through that friendship you will be used. He doesn't see you as a functional person. He sees you as a friend. And then we, at our study the other night, that was what was, you know, the, the, the study that we listened to where the guy was talking about sitting down with Jesus and just letting him hear your heart. Lord, what are you saying here? What does this mean? And this idea that he, he wants a friendship with us and a friendship with us that draws other people together. Does it make sense to you? He says, keep my commands, abide in my love, let your joy be full, everything I make known to you, I, I call you friends. And so a friend is somebody, Simon is my friend. And uh, in, when you have friendships, you, you, you enjoy the company. You have a freedom to, they know, I've known Simon for 30 years. They know who you are. They, they've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. And a friendship is a place where you don't have to go, oh, if, I, if we, we talk about this, we're going to sort of fall out. It's just an easy relationship of mutual acceptance and mutual support. In fact, in Simon's letter, he said to me, because I've been walking alongside him this for the last two years, and he said, he, he quoted a passage out of Samuel and says, I think that's what we are for one another. It was about um, Samuel saying, we, uh, encouraging each other to know the strength of the Lord. And sometimes it's him and sometimes it's me. It you know, and that's true for all of us in our relationships. Um, how do we 
make these things real. He has a commentary from uh, Paul, Paul uh, Young. Who's the guy who wrote the shack? Young? What's his name? Yeah. Anyway, listen to his little excerpt here and see what comes up. You might know a friend who thinks, you know, struggles with some of those things. But it's so easy to say things and then to to live them out. And the living them out is why uh, Jesus brings people together, because uh, it's the living it out that enables us to, you know, what you might be going through. The reason I'm walking alongside Simon is because what he's going through now in these two years, I went through seven years ago. I'm still going through it, but I learned some things. And so he recognizes that, and so it's, it's a good sort of encouragement. And uh, there's an element where, where when we, we get, walk in community, uh, there's, there's often somebody who's been through what we're going through that we can lean into and learn from, rather than the stupid way of we all have to learn the hard way. I went through my time seven years on my own virtually. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. It probably could have been two months. But... That's the way it was. Uh, but, but this whole area of building community and, and walking together is, is really important. And, uh, you know, Paul said, 
when he wrote one of his letters, he said, I've opened my, wide my heart to you, as Jesus does as well. I've opened wide my heart to you, but you won't open your heart wide to me. And he saw that as something very tragic. And you can actually see it in churches, people who open wide their hearts and people who, who keep their hearts closed. And the only place where God, you see, that, that phrase that he used where he said, we've got to learn how to be uncomfortable. And that in the uncomfortableness of our circumstances, often we find faith emerges. So you go out into the street and you go, I'm very uncomfortable here. I don't know what's going to happen. And God says, well, am I your father or not? Yes, you are my father. Did I say I will always be with you? Yes, I'm always with you. How would you feel if your son or your daughter or anybody whom you love has been lost? How would you feel... Uh, if they were lost and you don't know what's happened to them or they're ill and you don't know what's happened to them or they've got a debilitating disease and they never seem to get better, how would you feel if they sent you a note one day and said, somebody stopped me in the street and they put me in a chair, invited me into a chair and they laid hands on me and I see what you mean now. I was lost but now I'm found. Somebody took the time to be in a place where they could bump into somebody who was lost. So if you're in the street, and you're in Craig Street or anywhere, and you begin to start being aware that I'm, I'm God's found child, and I'm not an orphan, I'm walking with Him, and I'm just beginning to say, Lord, teach me how to be more useful to you. Teach me how to be open to you. Teach me how to live a life where I actually take ground. I'm a warrior. Teach me how to actually become effective and not to be afraid. To the point where you can meet a stranger and you can give account of God and say, well, I know that God loves me and he's, he's changed my life. This is what he did. I can't imagine living without a relationship with him. And then you look them in the eye and go, I wonder how it works for you. What if he does exist? Would you like to know him? I'm not going to push you. I'm not going to push you up against the wall and slam you. I'm just saying, would you like to know him? Because he believes in you. That's why you're talking to me. I know it's not much to look at, but I'm just a messenger. He'll use any tin pot. How about... Uh, if he exists, Jesus, I just pray that if, if you're real, you show yourself to Jim in the next 48 hours. Have a nice day. Here's my card. Let me know what happened. And you begin to take risks because God will back you up. He will go, I'm longing for people to take risks. I'm longing for people to actually be proud of me. I'm longing for people to get mischievous and have some fun. Because half the church looks like they're more anemic than the people who don't know me. That's why I can't stand churches going around having baking sales to raise funds. I think it's so insulting. I think it's like, look at God's poor kids. 
People say, I've got this old couch, I don't need it anymore, does the church want it? I go, no, give me the new couch, you keep the old one. The mentality has been awful. So God's kids panhandle on the streets because he can't afford to keep them. When the issue is the kids are too selfish and they won't support his house. I refuse to do anything to raise funds like that. It's insulting. Or stand on the street and raise funds by saying, I'm too stingy to give what I've got, so could you give what you've got, please, to support this? <laughs> I mean, that, you can do that. I would bless that because then it's probably more honest. But Jesus loves you anyway. We're called into open-hearted relationships. Here are three, four or five things about an open heart. Just a... I think honesty, relationships of honesty. How are you? I'm struggling today. Doesn't mean you have to do this with everybody, but open hearts declare who we are. Honesty. Not lies and deception. Say to God, I, I, I want to be honest with people. Doesn't mean I have to confide in everybody, but I just want to be honest. Because I'm a work in progress. There's good, there's bad, and there's ugly. And so is everybody else. So when there's bad, I'll let you know it's not so good today. Emotion is part of an open heart. Emotional, get emotional. That's why God, I believe, is releasing us in worship. And He's going to insist on it. And saying to people, shout, do something. For God's sake, do something. I always remember going on a roller coaster, which I hate. And I remember the time, I think I might have been in Disneyland on my own, actually. I don't know why I would have gone on a roller coaster, but I, w I went on one, and I remember the people around me were screaming and raising their hands, particularly when you go over those top things when you go down. And I thought, oh, well. And I did it, and I thought, wow, it just releases all the tension. It really does. It releases all the tension, so it actually makes it bearable. You go, oh. Some of you need to do that. Ah! You really do. It wasn't in the notes. <laughs> just, just, just let out you what's inside you. And sometimes we need one another to do that because sometimes you just got to go, chill out, come on. Anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. The other one is active, participating, taking initiative, being part of something. Another one is reflective, I'm spelling heart, honesty, emotion, I'm not going to spend long on this, active and reflective, starting to say, Lord, what is this about? Be a really good decision to actually decide that you're never going to blame anyone ever again. You're never going to blame anybody for your life anymore. When you come to blame, when you're about to go, they made me, you just go, Lord, why am I responding like this? And you start asking questions instead of blaming. You just start saying, what is this about? What are you trying to say to me? I remember Graham Cook talking about when he started speaking in, in public for, and, and he started doing these workshops. He said he had three men who used to come and sit in the front for three years. And their sole purpose was to write a derogatory 
articles about him for the Christian news to, to help them understand that he was a fraud. Because you get that in m- many Christian gatherings. And the, criti- the critics. And uh, he, he was quite intimidated by them at first. And then he began to just say, they're a gift from God to help him toughen up and help him to actually just see past that. So he used to offer them pencils. And then he used to offer them drinks. And he used to just bless them. And there's an element of just not letting it get to you and actually just minister to them. I can't remember whatever happened to them, but I like the phrase, I like the, the attitude, which is, I'm going to actually tell you, turn this around. So instead of my coming to your party, I'm going to actually um, learn how to celebrate who you are, whatever you want to be to me. And I just think there are lots of opportunities in life where we, we can do that, where we can begin to start saying, step into something that's not really what I want to do and, and, and turn it around and make it different. God is very, very, very relational. So I know, and you know, that every single person that we have problems with, He loves. He doesn't necessarily like all that they do, but then there are people who are coming to Him about us. <laughs> Believe it or not. There might be somebody who's going to the Lord right now and saying, I don't know what to do about him or her. They really bug me. I know it's hard to imagine, but you just might be a real pain in somebody's neck. Some of you find that beyond belief. So grace is something we extend because you never know. I'm going to show you how to get rid of this in a minute. And then, and, and then the opening up the heart takes time. We have to give time to these things. Time, uh, time to people. Time to, to, to the Lord. Time to what He's calling us to. It's all about being intentional. It, so opening up your heart isn't just a warm fuzzy. I think there's lots of things we can do to open up our hearts to one another. And And, you know... The phrase that came to mind as I was looking at this was, uh, what do they say? Blood runs thicker then? And, you know, you're tied together by blood, right? You can't choose your friends, but you can't, you can't choose your family, some people say. And, you know, in Egypt, I think that's the way it goes. It's, in Egypt, it's, it's, it's the blood of the family. And the family has to stick together. But what about those people who have very little family? You see, when you become a Christian and Jesus enters into you and you, you become part of His family, His blood is thicker than water. And He starts saying, your, your family has just got massively expanded. Because these are mine, and if they are mine, and that's what the prodigal son story is also about, because the older brother was saying, that son of yours, And we can say that about other people too. That son of yours, that person over there. And he says, your brother, you mean? So one of the ways of building relationship and dealing with people who are hard to deal with is just, what what would you do if that was your son? What would you do if that was your daughter? Just reframe it. Reflect a bit. Open your heart to that and see what happens in your heart. It's very easy for us to close our hearts, to protect ourselves. 
Some of us have had pretty closed hearts for a long, long time. And when you have a closed heart, you tend to dispense advice. When you have a closed heart, you tend to have opinions about what people should do. You know the solution to everybody else's issues. But you don't really love them. You can tell people who live from the neck up because they have lots of words but not a lot of love and presence. They're not people you want to share your life with because you'll just get a lecture as opposed to be heard. Now we're all learning that. None of us are perfect at that. But it's just a sense of, of opening our hearts and saying, I don't know. That must be hard. Well, why, don't you, why don't you try this? We need one another also sometimes to give us a shove, don't we? Because sometimes we get very complacent, very self-pitying. You see it in churches all the time. If you've been around a church for long enough, you start seeing the patterns with people. And you start seeing those who are actually going to change and those who just stay struggling forever. And interesting, the people who struggle forever are usually the ones who don't turn up for things. But they're always struggling. But they keep their hearts protected. They gather around them people who will feel sorry for them, but they never go anywhere. So we need one another because we need one another to be able to help each other in areas we don't see. Here's a, a, a clip that illustrates this point more than I could ever imagine. Should we just say amen and pray for one another? The point of that is women should listen to men. We need community because so often the answers or the breakthroughs are much more visible to those around us than to us. And sometimes we spend all our time, it's the same with prayer, same with many things. 
Um, I, I've said this many times. I think often, there's some things we really need to pray for. There are other things we say, I'm praying for it, which usually means leave me alone. I'll do it myself. And some people have been praying for things for years, and you go, I could have helped you with this five years ago. It's a nail in your head, honey. And that's why we need one another. We need one another to be able to say, what do you sense here? What do you see? And it's much easier if we invite one another into those conversations rather than do that, which is say, just listen. I don't have to plug that. It's obvious what it's saying. That was very funny. When you get to go, you know, when you, you hang out with Jesus and you hang out with friends, it's... it's it might be good sometimes to wonder whether there is something that he's saying to me that's really obvious, that I keep on doing, or I keep on ignoring. Then I wonder why I get the same results. And the only reason he wants to get us to look at the truth, which is what will set us free, is because he loves us. And I, I know I keep saying this, but it made such an impression on me when, you know, I spent so many years with a couple of nails in my head that I, I refused to take out. And I thought I could meander through it or work through it, and it just ended up in despair, and it ended up in a, a very deep brokenness. Because um, only the truth sets you free. Compromise doesn't, and God won't compromise. And uh, I just know the contrast between living alone and living in community. And the difference is enormous. And one of, the, one of the, the mandates of Jericho Road is to be a place where people can feel safe, when they can, where they can be challenged, but where nobody will be kicked out because they don't measure up. But they might leave if they insist on keeping the nail in their head forever. Because we do have some responsibilities. And when Jesus told that story of the prodigal son, and, and uh, you see the son coming home after he's actually left the community. And you have one who's in the community but isn't part of the community, the older brother. All I have is yours, says the father, but he never had it. Because he, was, he focused on function, not relationship. And the one who had relationship left because he wanted to do the stuff he wanted to do and have his freedom. And in his freedom he found he was totally bound. And you have this father who goes out to both these boys because he's so relational and he grieves over both of them. The son who, who I love, who was dead, is now found. The son who I've always had with me is still not found, but I'm inviting him in. So love one another as I have loved you, says Jesus. It's good to replace, replay our testimonies. Do you remember when you were found? Do you remember when you felt the love of God? Or do you know the love of God? It's good to keep that one fresh. And what, what does it mean for me to be loved by God? 
It's what we were thinking about on Wednesday night. What does it mean for me to be loved by God? If I'm loved by God and I, and I think about that and I reflect on that and I sit with that and I say, which part of my life wouldn't I want to come under that? If I'm loved by God, why am I afraid of my future? If I'm loved by God, uh, why am I constantly anxious? If I'm loved by God, why is my heart closed? And as we saw in that uh, shack, shack interview, Lord, show me where I use words that I don't actually live. Show me where I use words that I don't live. Where I talk about trusting you, but when it comes down to it, I don't trust you. And when I talk about, Lord, you are Lord and I am yours, and I, but I'm never available to you. I don't offer you service. I don't offer you stuff. And so I just encourage us to, to, to thank God for the community he draws us into and, and, and ask him to just take us deeper in that. To grow us up in our relationships. Because you are somebody who he wants to work through more and more. Somebody, many people will only know Jesus loves them because of you. Or not. You can give them a Bible, but they won't know that. It'll be your love toward them. It'll be your encouragement, your initiating. And we all have those people in our lives. Both to receive from and to give. Does it make sense? You know, I remember coming back into the church after my isolation and, and I remember feeling the community and, and I remember feeling a sense of safety and a sense of, you know, if anything ever went wrong, I won't be so alone again. And it's a very powerful feeling. It's a very powerful uh, knowing. And so Lefty comes to join us and the thing, he's been traveling around the world and he's He's fought his way through everything. And, and one of the things he said to me, he said, what's your five-year plan? And I said, I don't have one. I don't make five-year plans. And eventually I said to him, why did you ask that? And he says, I just wanted to know because I want to settle here. Um, and I want this to be my home. And I want you to be there too. And I think that's cool. I think it's cool when... Uh, we stop thinking in terms of I'm doing this as a profession, but this is my family. I think the established churches destroyed churches by making the leadership professionals, like RCMP officers, don't have needs, apparently. We all have the same needs. And we're called to actually serve one another, I think, for life. And I think there's something powerful in that, in a very... Dis in a very uh, transient culture, a very disposable culture, uh, where we kind of go, I need this, the needs are sort of gratifications, but they're not open heart stuff. Open heart means, I, yeah, I might get hurt. Open heart means I have to invest. But open heart also means I get receiving. That is very powerful. I think that's a cool thing to strive for. I think that's a cool thing to... To, to covet and to treasure and to ask God for. Don't tell anybody, but lefties, uh, they're having another baby. I knew you'd go, oh, oh, yes. They're having a baby. I've been keeping it secret for about three weeks. 
But he told us this morning, so I said, well, I thought you weren't saying anything. Oh, well, I was talking about treasure, and there we go. So anyway, so there's another little lefty on the way, or Shinefa. Um, in January, I believe, it's he or she's on, on the way. So he's, he will be here on Tuesday night, uh, to, as will a number of people from um, Port Alberni. I was going to be there until my daughter visited me this week and informed me that her graduation was this Tuesday, not the following week. So I obviously have to want to go to her graduation in Victoria. Um, so, <laughs> so I won't be there on Tuesday, but God's quite capable of using lots of other people. So let's stand. <coughs> And just think about the people around you in your life. I mean, not just necessarily standing next to you. That God's called you into community, that you're not alone. Thank Him for the people He's placed around you. And if you don't have many people around you, well, come into a home group here and you'll have people around you. Don't let fear or nervousness stop you from going through a door that could lead to life. And understand that God has placed people in your life so that you can grow. And He's placed you in people's lives so that they can grow. And He wants to use all of us to uh, grow up His family and increase His family. So, Father, we bless you for the love that you shared with us in Jesus that stopped us in the street and told us that we need not live as homeless wanderers anymore, that we were those who were actually called sons and daughters of a king and that the things we'd been longing for deep in our spirits, that was why we were dissatisfied, because we hadn't come home yet. And we thank you so much for the homecoming. We thank you for how you brought us into a place where we could find safety and hope, forgiveness and a future. Thank you that you brought us into a community. And yes, we've been damaged by that community. And yes, we've had bad experiences. But we still understand, Father, that you call us into family. And so we just pray blessing on this family. And we pray, Father, that you would just Enable this family to grow into a nurturing, in a more nurturing, more challenging, more supportive way. That uh, this summer, as we go out into the streets, Father, that you would bring encounters to us that would uh, enable a welcoming of brothers and sisters that have no family right now. We pray for peace to settle in our spirits. that we would be more outward-looking than inward-looking, that we'd be able to be used by you before we're completely perfect, that we'd be able to share our brokenness as well as our joys and our hopes and our longings and understand that uh, you meet people in all of those ways as we just open our hearts to them and share with them and take an interest in them, tell them about our experiences. Father, may we not be afraid for people to see who we are. 
Because surprisingly enough, as they see who we are, they often see you standing behind us when we don't even realize it. But we are bearing testimony to how Jesus releases vulnerability in us even when we're not looking. Father, we bring before you anyone who's feeling sick, both in this room right now or those known to us. Anyone who's got physical ailments. <coughs> we just declare the kingdom of heaven over this room and your healing presence. Well, I cough. <coughs> See, I'm still coughing and praying for healing. So, Father, bless you for your goodness. <coughs> Just let the Father embrace you. You know, George comes in here, everybody he sees, he hugs. Well, maybe there's a visual aid there of how the Father is. Just let him embrace you right now. <coughs> and just say again to you, all I have is yours. I believe in you more than you believe in me. It's okay, I'll teach you. Don't be afraid. I will never leave you or forsake you. I call you by name. Nothing is impossible for me. If I can use a Nigerian called Junior to raise a dead woman, I can do anything with anyone at any time. If I can hear the cry of David and heal a man who was dead at the wheel, Imagine what I can do. So Father, I just pray release of faith among us. Hope and joy, confidence in you. And the best thing of all is that we don't walk alone. We walk with one another and we walk with you. And so Jesus called family like us to this table where we can break bread and share wine as a, as a testimony of our, our ties in His blood.